Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you are having a awesome day. It is, oh gosh, what is it? Monday night slash Tuesday morning, 12, 12 a.m., December 27th, a.k.a. my birthday. So happy birthday to me. If you are listening to this the day it comes out, then you are, in fact, listening on my birthday. Pretty cool. Uh, I just want to say... I'm thankful for you. Thank you so much for listening. The uh, amount of people who keep up with us on podcasts is truly mind-blowing. Thank you for everyone who has attended to a, a service in person. And thank you to everyone who has interacted with us on social media. Uh, it's really cool. We've been doing this thing for like sort of three years. Like we didn't officially launch until March. So in March, it will officially be three years. Insane. Amazing. Um this is our last podcast of the year. Uh, I hope it finds you well. I hope that you had a really great Christmas and I hope you are prepared to have a really great uh, New Year's, New Year's Eve and New Year. Uh, if you are planning on attending service in person this coming Sunday, we are having service. So by all means, party, stay up late, do your thing and then come to church the next day in your pajamas. We are having a pajama party at church um, they need to be responsible um, pajamas. Uh, Hannah said on Sunday, adult pajamas, but don't, not adult pajamas, grown-up pajamas. Um, you know, flannel, stuff of that nature. Show up in your PJs. We're going to have fun on Sunday. This podcast is going to be a fun one. I left in two songs, um, one up front, which is led by Isaac. Then it's going to be the message, a, uh, believe it or not, Christmassy type message. And then right afterwards, there's going to be a song led by uh, Kiana. But Joe has like this cool little like counter melody sort of lead part. And uh, some of you guys on the podcast might not have had a chance to hear them sing. So I left a couple songs in. If that's not your thing, just jump forward a couple minutes and you will find Hannah. All right. Hope you're doing awesome. Talk to you later. Slate bells rings, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Gone away is the new bird. Here to stay is the new bird. Parson Brown He'll say are you married We'll say no man But you can do the job While you're in town Later on We'll conspire As we dream By the fire To face and afraid The plans that we've made Walking in a
matter, we can build a snowman. Then pretend that he's a parson brown. He'll say, Are you married? We'll say, No man. But you can do the job while you're in town. Later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire to face and break the clouds that. You may be seated. <laughs> Merry Christmas Eve. I'm so happy you're all here. We were going to do a Christmas Eve morning service, and I was like, but is anyone going to come to that? But I don't want to go to a Christmas Eve Eve service, so you're welcome. I want to be at home in my pajamas watching Christmas movies after Nova has been put down. And by put down, I mean gently laid in her crib <laughs> with love and tenderness and Christmas spirit. <laughs> Christmas is my favorite time of the year, and if you have talked to me at all in the last four weeks, you will know that and probably be upset about it, because I love it so much, okay? I love it. I love Christmas an amount that makes people uncomfortable, like, like couples doing a lot of PDA, and people are like, ugh, get a room. That's pretty much me with Christmas. But I have talked to multiple people this month who are not in the Christmas spirit. Rick is definitely one of them. I saw a few hands, though. I, can't, I mean, there's a lot to complain about. Okay, let's do a short list of things that we should complain about for Christmas. Such as... What? Traffic. Tra traffic? <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> I went to Sam's Club yesterday to buy vitamin C, because I do that on Christmas Eve Eve. Nothing Christmas-related at all. I was just like, oh, no, germs. And there was tons of people in there, and they were all angry. And I was like, later on, I'm getting Christmas. <laughs> it's wonderful. I was so happy. And I used the scan and go, so I didn't even have to check out in line. That's not a, not a complaint. It's an appreciation post for Christmas Eve Eve and being out with the decorations. Here are some things we're complaining about. Consumerism. Excess. The stress of going to a million things and being with family and making sure that little guy that's watching your kids gets moved every night. You know the one. <laughs> Whoever invented him <laughs> should be slapped. Uh, what else should we complain about? Oh, trying to recreate your mom's mac and cheese and getting it wrong. And then your mom being like, you got it wrong. <laughs> you, it was a nice try, honey. Um, having your tree beautifully decorated so that your kids can then break all the ornaments, but just the sentimental ones, not the ones you got from Walmart for $3. Um, people not being appreciative enough of your efforts. Trying to balance everyone's food preferences and allergies <laughs> and still have an amazing meal. Trying to manage grief and loss from all the people that you wish were still here to celebrate the holiday with. 
And also, also, your kids are off school and have made it their mission to destroy your house and your sanity. And for some godforsaken reason, your boss scheduled a meeting at 3 p.m. the day before Christmas Eve, and you just found out you had a cousin who said they weren't coming, but they are coming, and you don't have a gift for them. And your closet full of re-gifts is empty. Does everyone feel stressed now? <laughs> Come on. Y'all were stressed before you came in here, okay? I saw a couple of these faces walking in the door. I said, Merry Christmas, and I got, uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so I think we need to get some of our stress out, okay? On the count of three, I want everyone to yell, bah humbug. Okay? <laughs> One, two, three. Bah humbug! Oh, that was really good. I was prepared to be like, you misunderstood me. I wanted you to yell. <laughs> but no, you did great. Does anyone have a nativity scene as part of their Christmas decorations or? Okay, buckle up, y'all. <laughs> I, in the spirit of Scrooge, have decided to title this message, Hannah Ruins the Christmas Story. <laughs> but before I ruin it, we should read it, okay? So we know what we're ruining. This is what Luke chapter 2 says. <clears throat> At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. <coughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I don't think God wants me to speak today. <laughs> it's definitely not the cookie I just shoved in my mouth three seconds before getting up here. <laughs> because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no room available for them in the inn. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing has happened that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. What do we know about the Christmas story? It would be really fun to take audience submissions here, but I grew up Pentecostal, and I know better than to pass a mic. <laughs> uh, we have a schedule, okay? And actually, what I meant to say is not what do we know about the Christmas story. What do we assume about the Christmas story? Here's some things we assume. We assume that Mary rode on a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I've seen paintings, pictures, murals, Mary on a donkey. Have you guys seen this? There's no donkey in the Bible. And now, I do hope for Joseph's sake that there was a donkey because if you've ever been around a very pregnant lady, you know that they don't move very fast. Can you imagine Mary walking all the way to Bethlehem like, like, and, 
scratch that. I hope there was a donkey pulling a cart <laughs> that Mary got to sit in all the way to Bethlehem. But there's no donkey or cart or horse or any of it mentioned in the Bible. We assume that there was a star overhead when Jesus was born. Like Jesus popped out, bam, star. Y'all heard this? There's no star in the Bible. It's not there. We assume that there was a lot of mean innkeepers in Bethlehem. And every single Holiday Inn Express in La Quinta that Mary and Joseph showed up to was like, are you crazy trying to find a room on Census Eve? Bah humbug. (laughs) And slam the door in their faces. And then one kind soul, this miraculous innkeeper was like, oh, you're so pregnant. I'm so sorry. I don't have any rooms, but I do have a barn. You can sleep in the hay. Praise be to God. Or in modern English, blessed. <laughs> uh, no, there's no innkeeper mentioned in the Bible. Not a single one. Not the mean ones who worked at La Quinta. Not the nice one who clearly worked at the, ho- at the Hyatt Bethlehem. <laughs> there's no innkeepers and there's no inns. And you might be like, no, we just read it. It says in Luke 2-7, there was no room available for them at the inn. Well, if there's an inn, then there has to be an innkeeper right? can't just have an inn with no one watching it. We all know humans. Well, that's kind of what it says. It should be translated. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and he gave birth to the firstborn, her son. She wrapped him in cloth, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Where would we get such an assumption? I think from thousands of years of storytelling and our sheer distance from what actually happened. Most of our understanding of the Christmas story comes from, like, Renaissance paintings and children's church plays. And they would really have us believe those two things, that the Christmas story happened like this. What had happened was Mary was pregnant. She could have that baby any minute. But then annoying old Emperor Augustus decides to call a census at the last possible second And now Mary and Joseph have to scramble. They have to run. They have to take a red-eyed donkey to Bethlehem to get counted. Why are they in such a hurry, by the way? Did their census notice get lost in the mail? Did the town crier not cry to them specifically? Mary is so pregnant on this trip that by the time they drag themselves into Bethlehem, they collapse on a bale of hay, and she's like, oh, no, the baby's coming. And then, bam, baby. Although if you've ever had a baby, you know, it doesn't really happen like that. It's not like, oh, surprise. No. And then, it gets better, then some shepherds show up to celebrate that same night and bring along their sheep who have no speaking lines but look very cute in their costumes. (laughs) Just what a mom wants after she's given birth, strange men who've been sleeping in a field showing up And they've brought sheep, (laughs) stinky loud sheep, perfectly placed next to a newborn. I think we should just use our common sense a little bit. I don't even think that it's like, okay, we're 2,000 years later and we don't know what happened. Okay, fine. Like, can we use our brains, please? Let's think about this. First of all, Rome was a huge empire. In my notes, I wrote out huge. And then, I don't even know why I'm saying this, because when I wrote that in my notes, I was like, you shouldn't say that because half of everyone will laugh 
and the other half will be a fat, sad and offended. <laughs> but it was a huge empire. It was the best empire that ever existed in the history of empires. <laughs> I apologize if that offends you. I am deeply sorry, but I already said it. <laughs> Notice of a census would have gone out months in advance, okay? with specific dates for everyone to arrive back in their hometowns. They would not have been counting every hometown at once, first of all, because they would not have had enough census takers, but second of all, they could not have everyone traveling at one time. It would shut the whole economy down. It would be like if everyone in the United States, the government was like, hey, I mailed you this thing, and we need you to show up where you were born immediately. What? No, that's not how government works even 2,000 years ago. They would have known a very long time in advance when and where to be and it would have likely been staggered. You do this town, and the census taker goes to the next town. Second, everyone knows you don't travel with a super pregnant lady. Anything could happen. <laughs> I mean, that baby could be like, hello, surprise, any time. Also, super pregnant ladies are not generally the best traveling companions. They are, they are um, grouchy is a nice word for what a person who is days away from birthing a baby is. This is for many reasons, most notably because they're not sleeping, they have wicked heartburn, and they're getting kicked in the kidney from the inside. <laughs> Always best to do the traveling before month eight. Mary and Joseph did go to Bethlehem for the census, but they were not in a hurry. They were not traveling two days before Jesus arrived. Okay, the Bible says while they were there, the days were completed. Meaning, they were in Bethlehem for a while waiting for the baby to come. And they weren't alone. In that society, family stayed with family. Especially pregnant ones. Which brings me to my third point. Mary and Joseph were not staying in a hotel. <laughs> because in the ancient world, there were no hotels. <laughs> if there was an inn or something like that that existed in a town, it was a roadside establishment that soldiers and merchants stayed in. It was not family friendly. Okay, there was a lot of drinking and other such activities. This is where we get tripped up with the word inn because the Greek word for inn does not actually mean hotel. We think inn and we're like, oh yeah, obviously. No, the Greek word refers to a guest room, not a hotel room, not a room for rent. Mary and Joseph were not being turned away from hotels. They arrived and found Joseph's house crammed with relatives who were also coming back to get counted in the census. Houses in that society were generally two levels. There was a first level for cooking and cleaning and regular living, and the second level for sleeping. And at night, any animals that belonged to the family would be brought inside to the first level of the house to protect them from cold and theft and other kinds of like wild animals. They would bring them inside. You all have pets, right? Raise your hand if you have a pet. I don't have one, but I have a toddler, so... <laughs> Haha, <laughs> you are only laughing if you don't have a toddler. <laughs> okay, people have pets. We have pets. But can you imagine going to sleep on top of donkeys, sheep, and chickens? Ew. In the words of Alexis, ew. Day that. <laughs> Mary and Joseph did not come face to face with closed doors. They had to make sleeping arrangements in the lower level of the house. That's not that bad, right? Just kick the donkey out. But, but, why is this an important point? The writer of Luke wants you to know that there was no room for them in the usual place you would host family members. 
Are you telling me that not even one cousin, aunt, uncle, grandparent to be was willing to give up their bed to let the pregnant lady have a place to sleep other than the floor? That feels pretty indicting, doesn't it? We're like, oh, yes, Mary got pregnant without Joseph. And then, you know, he was like, oh, but God told me and it's fine. And then he went to visit his family and it clearly wasn't fine. (laughs) Maybe his family was being super passive aggressive. Maybe his family really disapproved of him marrying this person who got pregnant without him. Maybe they were just really selfish. But no one in the whole family was decent enough to give a person who's about to have a baby a bed. I wonder what Mary was thinking. Is this the kind of family I marry into? They don't even like me. She was probably exhausted, not just from being pregnant, but from like carrying the weight of everyone's disappointment in her. I am positive that she missed her own family, her own mom, her own grandmother. She was, I'm sure, sad that they would not get to experience Jesus' birth with her, to hold her hand, to encourage her. I'm sure she was scared that she'd be going through this most vulnerable thing she could do, giving birth, with these people who were tolerating her. We say lots of stuff at Christmas time about Jesus coming to earth and God choosing to live as a human with us in our mess, in our stress, in our disappointment, in our difficulty. And I don't think we say enough about Mary, her agency, her choice, her resolve. She chose to participate in the most wild thing she had ever heard of, the birth of a baby who was also the son of God. And she chose that knowing the ramifications. She chose that knowing she might be alone, afraid, sad, vulnerable. She chose this knowing that people were gonna talk about her behind her back and look at her differently and treat her differently and her baby differently. No one could blame her for not wanting to do that. It's time to take the trash out, okay, y'all? I hope that's the trash and not the tow truck driver. (laughs) We say different church is a place for everyone, but that guy. You're laughing, but every, so many people have been towed maliciously. I would not put it past this person to tow people on Christmas Eve. That's a side note. Mary chose love and hope instead. She chose to believe that there was actually a chance that all of this was not in vain, that all of this was not hopeless, that all of this did have meaning, and that God actually cared. And I wonder if we sometimes feel the same way about God and about our family of faith. I mean, we've met each other. (laughs) We've been around Christians We know what they're like. Worse, we know what we're like. We think, oh, is this the kind of family I am joining? I'm not sure they even like me. We get exhausted, not just from living, but from carrying the weight of everyone's disappointment in us. We are scared that we are alone, going through the most vulnerable thing we can do, being a human, 
with this faith family and this God that are only tolerating us. And we're tired. We're so tired of pretending. We're tired of feeling unseen and unappreciated, and we're underwhelmed. Like, this is what life is like. This is what faith is like. This is what Christmas is like. Underneath all the twinkly lights and the pretty songs, there's just a dirty first floor filled with animals, family drama, and a mom who has nowhere else to lay her baby than a manger. But actually, I think that's the real magic of Christmas. That when God entered our world, it wasn't pretty or perfect or even clean. It was messy. We didn't have to clean it up first. God still came. We did not have to fix all of our family drama and passive-aggressive tendencies first. God still came. We didn't have to make a perfect place or roll out a rug carpet or even clean out the manger. God still came. And Mary chose to open the door. So my question for you is, what doors are you holding shut? What parts of your heart and soul have you barricaded in, determined never to let anyone close enough to hurt you there again? What disappointment that do you carry? You're convinced that no amount of Christmas presents or Christmas carols or Christmas lights or Christmas ham can make any lighter. Where have you given up hope? On God and in your faith community. But you're keeping it under wraps for appearances sake. You don't need to pretend. You don't need to. You don't need to pretend anymore. You don't need to be afraid anymore. Advent is over now. Christmas is here. You have waited and you have watched and you've worried and protected and cleaned and paced and tried to figure it out and gone in circles and taken one step forward and two two steps back (laughs) and laid awake at night, breathing through the anxiety and the sadness and loss and counting the minutes till it would be over. But now it's here. The sunrise is here. Daylight is coming. The sound of a little baby crying, heard through the whole universe, pure and simple and sweet and holy. A holy God who came to show us nothing but love. A holy baby who only needed his mother's arms. A holy mother who chose to hope even when it felt impossible. And us, a holy community who gather to celebrate the birth of Jesus every single year, bringing with us all our baggage and all our irritations and our passive aggressiveness and our deep fear that we are not good enough, we still show up every year. We come together as we are. And then we meet the God who was and is and is to come and who will never leave us or forsake us, who saw our mess and saw the way we have sometimes ruined things and came anyway. Maybe the Christmas story isn't ruined after all. Maybe, like the Velveteen Rabbit, it's only when you love so fiercely and completely that it becomes real. Y'all can come back up here. The Israelite people had endured hundreds of years of silence from God. 
But God had promised so long before Jesus arrived to come anyways. And it says this in Isaiah chapter 9. And if you've grown up in church, you probably have heard this. And I think it's beautiful. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. God will break the collar of slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. God will break the oppressor's rod. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. If you felt this year that you're walking in great darkness, there is light for you. If you have felt trapped, there is freedom for you. If you have been fighting, there is rest for you. If you have been alone, there is community for you. For a child has been born to us. A gift has been given. God's presence, pure and whole. May we rest in the knowledge that we are utterly loved, that we are a gift to each other, but most especially a gift to God. Okay, so we have a couple more for y'all. If you want, you can stand and sing. The lyrics are still going to be over here. Stop. 